Phonical is a podcast devoted to sharing true life stories, both big and small, told by senior citizens. I hope this podcast encourages others to ask senior citizens in their lives to tell more stories, revealing remarkable life experiences. To learn more about Phonical, visit phonical.com, P-H-O-N-I-C-L-E.com. I would now like to introduce you to William Burt Bates, born in 1926 in Lexington, Missouri. Burt now lives in Kansas City, Missouri. I worked one summer on the thrashing crew, and we went to work real early in the morning, ate those big meals for breakfast, lunches, we'd eat, eat four times a day. And we would have about an hour, an hour and a half rest period from, let's say, 10, no, maybe 11 o'clock, and then another in mid-afternoon when the heat was so bad. And then we'd work till dark. And so what do you do on the threshing crew? I suppose combines had been invented, but they weren't being used. In a, I never saw a combine during the, that period of time. So you have horse-drawn wagons, and the, the uh, wheat has been cut, and it's been tied into bundles. So comes thrashing time, the people who own the equipment, they start and work north coming up through the Midwest there, all over the United States, I suppose. And so there are shocks of wheat out there. One person's driving the wagon, and then there are about eight people walking along and throwing the wheat on the wagon. Then it goes over to the thrashing machine, where you throw it off of the wagon into the thrashing machine, and the straw comes out this side and the grain over here, and you have people getting the grain in baskets and putting it over and you have uh, other people taking the straw and and uh, usually the what I worked with, they did not bundle they just stacked the straw how big of a crew was it oh there's about 16 usually some cowboys on vacation kind of and then uh, a lot of youth the thrashing crews would I'm sure they started in Texas. The only time I did it, I, I joined it in Oklahoma, up through Kansas into Nebraska and up to uh, South Dakota. I'm sure they went on to North Dakota, but I didn't. And so how long would you stay on the crew? I was on that crew about a month. How old were you, did you say? I was 14 then. I was not in any sense of the word a hero. I served with a distinguished unit over in uh, in Europe and it was an interesting experience but I never got shot. I never got hit by any mortar shells or artillery shells. I got cold. I got hungry. But uh, I joined a unit kind of in central France and went from central France pretty much walking the whole way to Pilsen, Czechoslovakia when the war was over. When I tell a story, I emphasize I do not intend to be disrespectful or derogatory about anybody's uh, religious faith. 
I'm in basic training, Camp Hood, Texas. I was injured, but not severely, uh, on an obstacle course. I'm in the hospital in an ambulatory ward. 20 guys down this side of the room, 20 guys down that side of the room, all of whom are ambulatory. The sergeant came in and them all kind of on a Wednesday evening said the uh, Baptist Church in Colleen, Texas wants to be nice to eight soldier boys. And you, 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 you eight have just volunteered. You're going to be dressed in your ODs for the necktie and your cap, your boots are shined, and you're going to be at the front door of the hospital at 8 o'clock next Sunday morning. And you're going to do the Army proud. <laughs> and so we went to, and it was a Baptist church, but this could have happened in other denominations too, I suppose. And it just so happened they were having a revival week. They had had, I guess, some activity at tent revivals. But this was the final on Sunday morning. And they seated eight of us on the back seat, back row of, of the church there. Contrary to what you somebody might think, uh, the minister... He was a tall, really good-looking uh, Hispanic man. And he was, first of all, really a good public speaker. And that could create a lot of emotion. I don't know about his uh, uh, religious theories, but in any event, he was really good. I was reared in a very strict, almost stayed uh, family. My mother was... Uh, daughter of a Methodist minister. My father was a church going ahead to the Sunday school and all that business. And we went to church on Sunday school and church on Sunday morning to Vespers on Sunday afternoon. And I went to Methodist Youth Fellowship in the evening. We went to prayer meeting on Wednesday night followed by choir practice. And sometimes we had services on Friday and so forth. So I was interested in what was going on, but I had been involved in church activities a, a lot. The guy sitting next to me was the son of an Episcopal minister, and uh, as he said to me, my father's taken care of everything for me. He's taught me everything. I don't have anything to worry about. So at these revivals, you may have been to one, they issue a call, which they call people down in front to be saved. Well, the first call, several went. Second call, third call. Pretty soon they were down to about the fifth call, and all of the GIs except the two of us had gone. He and I both felt like we were already in. We didn't need to go down there. <laughs> well, he's issuing the last call, and a Texan who must have been six foot six tall, he had a hand on him as wide as a ham. He put a, his one hand on this other boy's shoulder next to me and one on my shoulder, and he said, Boys, there ain't gonna be no ham, fried chicken, or pie till everybody's been saved. <laughs> I, we went down and got saved again. 
we crossed the English Channel in small boats. This is not a landing. This is long after D-Day. Got off at La Havre, France. Uh, actually uh, got on trucks then. Uh, spent the night in in some barn on the way. But then about two and a half days later, we got kind of out to central France to the units we'd been assigned to. And at this, the Germans had been close, but had, I think, moved on a little further to the east. But the men were in, in, uh, in foxholes. And so I was introduced to a lieutenant and, and what about three other men that were with me on the truck were assigned as replacements to this unit. Uh, now, you say, sent one over here and one over there, and they said to me, you go up here about 100 yards, and there's a Sergeant Downey who will be your platoon sergeant. He's out there, and he's in a hole, a foxhole by himself. And you, you go up and report to him. So I did. So I'm in a foxhole with a sergeant named Downey from San Antonio, Texas. Fine guy. It was cold. So we had one blanket each. About, oh, it had gotten dark, and he reached in his pack and handed me a bottle of cognac. And since it's going to be cold tonight, since you may need this. And uh, I talked about my family. Uh, I was reared in a, a family that was uh, pretty observant about a lot of things, including liquor. The only time I'd ever tasted any kind of beverage alcohol was when I sang in the choir at the Episcopal Church and they gave communion. So that was the only thing. I hadn't even, I was 18, but I hadn't even tasted beer. So I took a big gulp of that cognac and uh, straightened me out a little bit and it helped. So I got to thinking about it and I said, well, Sergeant, you've got to be as cold as I am. Here, you don't need to give all this to me. He said, oh, relax, soldier. I've got two more in my pack. (laughs) Had one friend. One evening, we got out of the foxholes, and he's standing up taking a leak on a, pissing on a tree, and he got shot in the left buttock. He coming to God. Thank God he wasn't cross eyed. <laughs> the unit had gone into Pilsen, Czechoslovakia, and we were there, uh, oh, maybe 10 days. All of the people between the age of maybe 12 and 60 were gone, it seemed like. Probably the Nazis had taken them and put them to work in factories or maybe put them in the army and made them serve or so forth. There weren't any middle-aged or very, very few young people. And they had very little in the way of amenities in Pilsen, but they did have a wonderful black bread they, they made in big round loaves. They had the home of Pilsner beer. And Pilsner, in Pilsen, Czechoslovakia. And it was considerably stronger than American beer. I think about 14, 15%. And they were so happy and so 
felt so great about the American soldiers liberating Pilsen that the mayor of Pilsen sent to each squad of man a five-gallon keg of Pilsner beer every other day. And so that, of course, is where I got my first taste of beer. Having gotten acquainted with cognac, that's where I... And I've never tasted better beer since. So, But in any event, that caused problems in that some of the GIs got more of the beer than I did, and some people, actually none of the guys I was with personally, but they would get out in the middle of the night shooting their rifles up in the air and hollering, and then we, occasionally some fights breaking out between the American soldiers. So they decided they moved everybody out. We were sent, my company was sent to a real small town named Oprechtashi, Czechoslovakia. And interestingly, we were, we were billeted in the local beer tavern. So we had straw mattresses sleeping on the floor in the local beer tavern. But the army being the army, with this was this a few days after the armist well, after we moved out there, the army, of course, wanted to reinstill everybody in the army tradition, so we got up real early and we did calisthenics. We had rifle inspection, we even practiced marching and so forth, and that proved to be okay because we did march in a parade later. But <laughs> they also wanted to plan for the future, I guess. So one day, they had a session on ordnance that supplies and all that stuff for all of the enlisted men. And we were there at close to a practice, beautiful, beautiful country, marvelous uh, forests, beautiful fields. It was, well, it was springtime, and it was very nice. The weather was great. And the on a hillside, uh, sort of a gentle slope up, I uh, had about 400 men sitting out there on the hillside, and a major was down. He found this place or another, someplace or another. He had found a chalkboard, and he was down there giving a lecture on things. To those who might not be familiar with it, you normally wear what's called a helmet liner. It's a, a, a hard plastic a helmet that goes on and then the steel pl- uh, helmet fits over it. And on the helmet liner was your, <coughs> your name and your rank. Well, should, well here we are, uh, we were out there, just, of course, we had no weapons with us or anything. We were just out there in our regular clothing and everybody had their helmet liner with them and we were seated and vir- virtually everyone had taken their helmet liner on and put it down. And, uh, Beautiful, balmy afternoon. We'd had a pretty good-sized lunch. Two, maybe two in the afternoon, and he's going on and on down there in front of all of us. And I went to sleep. Well, one of my buddies in my same squad uh, was a big red-headed Texan guy. And his name was uh, Evans, Bob Evans. And he was sitting next to me, and he had his helmet liner off. Most everybody did. And I dozed off to sleep, and Evans, Evans hit me in the side and said, Bates, the major called on you, and the answer is 40 trucks. So I stood up, put the helmet liner on, saluted, and said, Major, the answer is 40 trucks.
And he said, well, that's very interesting. I quit talking about trucks and transportation 20 minutes ago. (laughs) And then he said, and so, Sergeant Evans, I hope you come down and speak to me after this is over with. Because I had picked up his helmet ladder and put it on when I stood up. (laughs) Boy, the lecture's over and I'm out the backside of there in a hurry. Evans was muttering at me as I was taking off. You dirty SOB. <laughs> then my wife and I, we did quite a bit of traveling. Eastern Europe was a marvelous trip. Uh, Warsaw and Krakow and, well, Prague and Pilsen and Vienna. We actually rented a car in Prague and drove to Pilsen. And I had a bolo tie with an emblem of the 2nd Infantry Division on it. Not many people would know this, and I don't know what kind of publicity this has ever had. But in Pilsen, Czechoslovakia, there is a Roosevelt-Tova Avenue and an Americana Boulevard. And those people still remember being liberated by the American soldiers. I'm walking around in a, in a jacket and a hat and slacks and a sport shirt and a bolo tie that has the emblem on it and I, people would stop me and ask me if I had been in the 2nd Infantry Division. And we went to the museum. <laughs> Interestingly, it's a beer museum, meaning they have put a lot of things in the museum, but all of the old equipment that was in the original breweries. I'm standing there buying a ticket to go in the museum, and the lady behind the counter looked at the thing and exclaimed and came around out of the the ticket booth and hugged me. And she said she was 14 years old, lived on a farm outside of Pilsen, and came in When we came into the city, she was there waving a flag. (laughs) 